Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. All right, Marketeers, thank you so much for joining me. Today, I have on Steve Gavatorda, owner of the Steve Gavatorda Group. He specializes in empowering individuals and organizations in identifying, developing, and exceeding performance goals. Steve's had the privilege of coaching and training thousands of high performers across an array of industries, from small businesses on the move to Fortune 500 companies. Steve collaborates with organizations to build foundations, set goals, and eclipse their highest potential. Steve is a certified professional behavioral analyst, a certified professional values analyst, a certified Myers-Briggs practitioner, and accredited to coach and train for emotional intelligence. He is a two-time published author and his new book, In Defense of Adversity, Turning Your Toughest Challenges into Your Greatest Success, won Richter Publishing's Amazon Bestseller Award for 2018. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. It's a mouthful, isn't it? It is. It is. Rarely do I read someone's full bio, but in cases like this, you just, you have to because it's so impressive and it really contextualizes the rest of our discussion today. So before we really dig into what I brought you on here to talk about, which is the difference between consultants and vendors, I'm curious how you got started in this industry. What's your story? Yeah, yeah. I kind of lucked into it. Marketing and sales. Right out of college, I was recruited by a by multiple companies, but I was recruited by a company called, at the time, Beecham Product. Beecham, back in the day, sold their main product was Aquafresh toothpaste. So I was an economics major, but out of college, I started schlepping toothpaste to grocery stores. And I'm being a little goofy, but it was actually a great company to work for. It's basically in the consumer packaged goods area. So we sold our products. It wasn't just Aquafresh, we'd have other products too, but we would sell them the food, drug, or mass merchandisers. So grocery stores, stores such as Targets, Walmarts, and drug outlets as well too. So we had toothpaste, we had various healthcare products that we would sell. So, uh, the, the the interesting thing about that company was all the upper level management were former Procter and Gamble people, and back in the day, Procter and Gamble, Crest, Tide, you know, any staple about sixty percent of the products you have in your home that are consumer products right. are probably made by Procter and Gamble. But they were known for their training and development back in the day. So being that a lot of their executives came over to Beecham. I was fortunate enough to have a very solid training and development background. So we were trained in fundamentals of sales, business, marketing, territory management. So I was very fortunate to have worked for that company. And after that, I spent 10 years with them, five with a company called Warner Lambert, which is similar. They sold Listerine and Trident, Dentine, Gum and Mints and stuff like that. Left them and spent two years with a company called Catalina Marketing, which did loyalty-based marketing and then ended my career with a company many may have heard of if you're old enough, Eastman Kodak. I was at Kodak when they kind of had their head in the sand 
about the future of digital where they were in denial mm. and it was an interesting place to be. But essentially 20, 21 years in consumer packaged goods, really doing everything from sales, business development, marketing, a liaison between sales and marketing. I did a lot of work towards the end of my career in what was called category management or shopper loyalty marketing, things okay. of that nature. And then I spent some time in training and development as well too. So I had really a broad background of experiences in those 20, 21 years. And I left Kodak cold Turkey 19 years ago okay. and started my company, Steve Gavatorta Group, which is basically a consulting company. And with my clients, I go in and really do a discovery phase, discover their training and development needs. And I build specific training and development or coaching programs relevant to those respective needs. Anything around sales, business development, marketing, leadership effectiveness, team communication, team effectiveness, things of that nature. So uh, it's more of a consultative organization. Okay. So then what brought you into AEC from there? Was it just a natural gravitation applying these services to the AEC industry? Yeah, I fell into that. Yeah, actually, my biggest client, and I landed them about nine years ago, was Stanley Black & Decker, who, who okay, yeah. one of their main products is DeWalt. And a bunch of their products are used at construction sites. So yeah. they sell, yeah, they sell their products to Home Depot and Lowe's and actually to, to distributors who sell on site to general contractors, the employees on site. Cool. Through that, my experience grew through Stanley Black & Decker. They recommended me to various distributors who sell their products and also manufacturers and other distributors who sell to jaw, to general contractors. So it, it, and now I'm actually working with a few general contractors, construction companies as well too. So it kind of flourished via word of mouth, primarily with Stanley Black & Decker, then gaining experience in that arena became yeah. becoming familiar with that arena and finding out ways I can be of service to them. I haven't done a whole lot from the perspective of working directly with architecture firms, but I call a lot of my clients call on architecture firms to sell uh, to sell their products into a to into a, a design or something of that nature. And then I've done some work with some environmental consulting companies as well too. So with that said, I built experience in that world and and through that I found SMPS, an organization mm -hmm. I do a lot of work with via the chapters or the regional events as well too, which specializes in your world, your industry. Yeah. So what we're going to talk about today is, are you a consultant or are you a vendor? So when you say that, what does that mean? And why is it important to BD folks? Yeah, I do a lot of workshops or coaching events or webinars on that topic. And I've spoken a lot to SMPS chapters and regions on this topic. And the whole topic title is, are you a consultant or a vendor? That, that's kind of a question mark then optimizing business and marketing development success. Okay. So it's, it really encompasses all that. But with anyone I talk to in a sales or marketing or business development role, I always try to stress the importance of being viewed consultatively in the eyes of your customers sure. versus being viewed as a vendor. When okay. you're viewed consultatively, you're viewed more of a problem solver, a solution provider to your customers. When you're viewed as a vendor, 
you're viewed as a transactional relationship. You're viewed as selling commodity. When I'm viewed as a consultant, I'm selling solutions. When you're viewed as a vendor, you're selling a, again, a commodity. When you're being viewed as a consultant, your customers don't beat you up on price as much. Mm. You're a vendor. It's always about price. You know, give us the lowest price. It's a massive difference in a relationship. So being viewed consultively is acting on skills of being consultative, meaning uncovering issues facing your customers and then aligning relevant solutions to meet those respective needs. Again, being a vendor is basically going up. And I I always say, don't going and showing up and throwing up and tell them everything that you do, every capability that you have. Mm. When all those capabilities, all those things you offer may not be relevant to them at that time. Right. So it's incumbent upon you as a consultant to spend the time, ask the questions, uncover those things that they need or opportunities they want to address or what's keeping them up at night and being a solution for that. I have a friend who's a developer and he gave me a quote. He said, I go to bed nervous and wake up scared. And I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just so intense. He he actually deals with difficult properties, one that has environmental spills. So they have to do a lot of environmental cleanup and stuff of that nature. But You know, I always tell my clients, if you can help my friend sleep at night, do you think he is going to listen to you? Do you think he's going to use you as your solution to his needs? Of course. But if you're going in there and selling what you do and not hearing about his issues and problems he's facing and and not helping him sleep at night, he's not going to deal with you. That's a vendor versus that consultant who comes in and understands problems. Does that make sense? Yep. Perfect. Uh, I also say, you know, consultants make emotional connections. I oftentimes use in my speaking engagements on this topic, a quote by Harley Davidson executive. What does Harley Davidson sell? And most people say motorcycles, which in a way, yes, it's correct, but they sell something greater than that. Quote based on a Harley Davidson executive said, what we sell is the ability for a 43-year-old accountant to dress up in black leather, drive through small towns and scare people. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So what he's saying is basically we sell an experience. We sell an emotional connection. Sure. We sell a lifestyle. We sell fun. You know, this boring 43-year-old accountant can go act like a tough guy, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and feel that, you know, he or she's king of the world or queen of the world. And that, in my eyes, is a consultative relationship because They've made an emotional connection. They've solved a problem or identified an opportunity for their consumers that's different from their competition. And with that said, the Harley Davidson consumer is more loyal to that brand, number one, which is huge. Number two, they'll spend more money for it. And in addition, they'll buy accessories along with the motorcycle, the boots, the belt buckles, you know, and those things are profitable. Where Honda and Kawasaki can sell the commodity, the motorcycle, Harley Davidson sells something greater, if that makes sense. They've made that emotional connection. And in my eyes, the point I'm trying to make when I say that is they've built a consultative relationship with their customers. They understood that need. They met that need. They made that emotional connection and they've uncoupled themselves as just another commodity, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. So you having been in multiple industries, 
What do you see as key differences in business development in the AEC world versus in other industries? Yeah, the, the AEC world is broad. I mean, it's it's, sure. it's not an easy business to understand. When I sold consumer packaged goods, you know, I sold Kodak film or Aquafresh toothpaste. Yeah. We sold it to the retailer, the retailer sold it to the customer. That was the relationship. So the business sure. development for me was build the relationship with the retailer, let them sell to the consumer and let our marketing build the loyalty, the consumer connection. So it was a much easier connection. Right. When you look at the AEC world, the, it is not just selling your services or capabilities. It's really understanding, in my opinion, the lifetime value of a project. You know, you have business development, you have marketing upfront, then you have bids that come out. You have to land the bid, go through the bid interview, do the estimates, do the value engineering, then hopefully you land the bid. Then once the bid's landed, then the project begins. You work through the project. And after that project's done, there is a potential opportunity for post-construction or some, my customers call it the aftermarket business. Right. So hypothetically, we build a new hospital system. The project's done. The aftermarket is any business we can do with any other construction after that initial construction. Looking at that whole lifetime value of that project from biz dev to the potential aftermarket, there's opportunities to make connections, do biz dev, enhance marketing all along that spectrum sure. of what I call the lifetime value of a project. It's not just about landing this bid this one time. It's about securing that bid, but doing such a good job with every selling or business development or marketing connection point of that project that you are considered for the project thereafter, whether it's sure. another project that the developer is doing later, or whether it's that same project that may need services down the pike. That's the big difference. You know, I talk to my clients in AEC about you know, it's not just the biz dev portion up front. It's not just the marketing up front. It's not just landing and securing the, the bid, the contract, the job. It's looking at the lifetime value of that project and optimizing, maximizing the business development along that whole process. I tell people in biz dev, business development is just not the responsibility of the person with the title of business development. Big time. That's, Estimators can be in business development. Project mm -hmm. managers can be in business development. All that line of, again, that, that whole spectrum of being able to touch your customer to some extent or your client is a business development opportunity. Does sure. that make sense? Yeah. It's almost like the, the whole project is an experience and you yeah. have different participants along the way that sort of make it the experience that it either is or isn't. I Absolutely. Guess. One of my clients is a door distributor and uh, the president of the company reached out to me and said, we want to sell more doors. And I'm like, okay, mm. well, I can do a workshop on helping in sales training, but I wanted to go meet him and understand what he meant by selling more doors. Okay. And, you know, obviously if a job calls for 50 doors, you can't sell a hundred doors because sure. so, you know, that was a key learning, but they offered something called a pre-install capability. So what they would do is build the doors on site, mm. deliver them to the job when it was time to install doors and hang the, the doors as well too. That capability 
is a little more expensive. However, anyone along this whole process could sell that capability. So when we were doing the workshop, it wasn't a sell more doors workshop. It was optimizing the lifetime value of a project. Okay. And I remember everyone that touched that job was invited to the workshop. And I know the estimators were terrified. We don't sell. We're not salespeople. They were terrified. But yes, in a way you are. Sure. If you're, if you're estimating and you can sell the benefits to that pre-install capability that can drive project efficiencies, it can drive getting that job done faster, it can drive job site productivity, why can't you sell that capability? So, you know, that in my eyes, they're biz dead people. They're trying to help that general contractor get that job done sooner, faster, eliminate waste, you know, allow to hang a door. I don't know if a lot of people know, it, oftentimes it could take two people, a carpenter, an electrician. So if you have a hundred doors, that is a lot of time. Okay. If we could take care of that capability for you in-house, save you from having to allocate manpower to build the doors, install the doors. Right. We're gonna, you can go do other things, get this job done on project timelines, drive workplace efficiencies, things of that nature. So my whole point is that whole process, anybody in the organization, any department should be involved in business development, so to speak. Long-winded response, but I hope that makes sense. Sure. So you brought up something there that I think is so crucial in our industry. And that is that our, I'm just going to quote unquote technical we're all technical professionals, mm-hmm. but the billable professionals, I suppose, when they hear the word sales and when they hear the words business development, that's yeah. sort of what you just explained, where it's like, hands are up, hands are off. <laughs> that's not my job. Yeah. How do you get past that shock value quickly yeah. without having to explain like, no, look, if you do this and this and this and this and this, is there a way that you've sort of managed to synthesize that to just get those people on board? Yeah. And that comes back to that whole consultative question. You are not an estimator. You're a consultant. Sure. You you are there to help that job get done efficiently on budget ahead of schedule. So if people are thinking in that terms, I don't think a lot of people in those type of roles are thinking in those terms of how can I help them get this job? What's keeping that project manager up at night? What's keeping that general contractor up at night? What's keeping that end user, that developer up at night? And how in my role, I don't care where you are in the organization, how in my role can I be a provider for them, a problem solver for them? I think it's a mindset that I'm an estimator only. No, I, I help solve problems through my estimating. I can provide recommendations to make life easier for you on that job site or get the job done sooner or get it done more efficiently, Got things it. of that nature. You know, in, in with this particular door company, they were oftentimes hesitant in selling that pre-install. You know, the president said, we're not selling that capability now because I think people are afraid to because right. they didn't understand the ability to sell. And I don't mean this used car salesman. I mean about solving a problem, understanding sure. the pain points that happens on a job scene and how that pre-install can make life easier. You know, right. I think if people change that mindset and think I can help them. I can help drive these efficiencies. I can help things get things done sooner. 
I can, you know, help their manpower issues that they might have. If people start thinking in that nature, they may think their role's a little bit different and hence their recommendations thereafter. Perfect. So then you sort of, you alluded to this a few minutes ago of the the salesperson or the business development professional coming at you, spilling all their information and sort of sitting back, right? Yeah. So obviously that's ineffective. We all know that yeah. that's ineffective. What are some skills that a person needs to be effective at business development? And what do those good business developers do differently than their less successful counterparts? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why I call the topic, Are you a, start off with, are you a consultant or are you a vendor? One of the first things I talk about is be thinking consulting, think of yourself as a consultant, a solution provider. Yeah. That in turn stops you from wanting to go in, as I say, show up and throw up, you know, give the kitchen sink. Yes. And 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 I'm not saying that facetiously. I have my I have a business as a consultant because 90% of my customers go in there and they start spewing and telling what they do. I oftentimes go to my clients and I want to tell them what I do because I'm so excited to talk about my business. Or some of the people in your world are so excited to talk about their capabilities. The only problem is all of our capabilities aren't always necessarily needed for given scenarios. So it's incumbent upon us to think of ourselves as a consultant and want to uncover needs, opportunities my customers are dealing with. And through that first thought, thinking of myself consultantly, consultantly drives my first step to be start asking questions or even mm. before that, doing discovery up front, uncovering anything you need to know about your customer, even before you make a visit, whether it's asking other people about any, any knowledge base they have on these customers, going and doing a Google search on this particular customer, uncovering all that you can up front. I call that macro discovery. Any okay. insights I can gain before even making a call is macro discovery. Anything I can gain before that, internet, asking other people. Then when you're in that call, it's the micro discovery. That's really asking questions and really trying to understand the scope of things they're working on, what are opportunities for them, what are past problems, that they've, they've had and how you, based on your products and services, can be potential solutions for them. I think that whole mindset, that desire to uncover needs and be a solution provider is the number one thing. Perfect. So I hope this isn't a curveball. If it is, okay. you just okay. let me know. But if we have our staff going to things like conferences where you can do a little bit of background mm -hmm. research, but you don't exactly know who you're going to be able to interact yeah. with. You can have goals. You mentioned that asking questions is a really good way to start to figure mm -hmm. out someone's needs. Do you have any go-to questions that are really good? I almost want to call them icebreakers, mm -hmm. but icebreakers with the intent of grabbing information rather than just starting small talk? Yeah. The thing I would say, I don't know if it's one question, I guess I often use. So tell me about your business. Tell me some things you're working on. So the thing you want to do is get them talking. Use open-ended questions. 
you know, I, oftentimes people ask a bunch of closed-ended questions. Closed-ended questions have their purpose, but you're generally going to get a yes/no answer, or maybe a one-sentence answer. Right. If you get someone talking, the conversation will automatically float. So tell me any big projects you're working on. What are past projects you've done? Are there certain industries you focus on? And then get them talking. And then the dialogue should flow from that. So start with some open-ended question, get them talking, and that'll allow you to hone in and start narrowing the scope. So hypothetically, let's say you ask a general contractor, you know, tell me about your business. What areas do you focus on? Well, aviation, mission critical, commercial, bang, I can start honing in and start digging deeper questions. So tell me a little bit about your aviation business. Do you have some relationships with airports, airline, airlines, tell me a little bit more of that. Then that draws out more knowledge. And then you can start thinking about based on what they're saying to you, oh, bingo, we specialize in this, or we've had success in this particular avenue, or I can share a testimonial from someone, you know, so you could start connecting dots there. If there's an area, again, maybe aviation isn't your bag, but maybe commercial is, then you can hone in on that area. So I think as long as you get your customers talking, then the dialogue will flow naturally. You know, I often say use the 60-40 rule, 70-30 rule, 80-20 rule, meaning your customer should be talking 60, 70, 80% of the time. You should be listening and getting information. Like my friend, I'd say, what's keeping you up at night, Steve? And he said, you're going to bed nervous, you wake up scared or vice versa. Tell me what's keeping you up at night. Sure. And what are those things you're facing? What are those issues you're facing? And now I can find that relevant solution to meet that respective need. Did that answer your question? Did that, it it wasn't did. too bad. Yes. It wasn't too bad of a curveball. I was waiting <laughs> for something. I wouldn't say, tell me about your business. Tell me some things you're working on. What's the industries you focus on? You know, make it an open-end question, right. get them talking, and then it'll start being a dialogue where you can use probing questions more open-ended questions, rhetorical questions, closed-ended questions too. I'm not saying you don't use them, but don't use them for really trying to draw out a lot of information. Right. Hypothetically saying, so are you guys in a, starting out a discussion? So are you guys in aviation? No. Where do you go? Right. That? Yeah. Or yes, we do. Well, then you can go into, well, so tell me more about the work you've done sure. in aviation. If I've done my homework up front and I see that a general contractor or developer focuses on a certain area, then I might want to ask that question. If I know right. they have a, a big business in aviation, maybe you could say, hey, through my research, it looks like you've done a lot of work in the aviation or arena. Is that true? And tell me a little bit more about that. Mm. Oh, get them talking, get them talking. Right. I love that. So the reason I ask is because I've been at a few conferences now and I've noticed as opposed to pre-COVID, now everything feels just like a little bit more rusty, right? Yeah. Like, especially in-person conversations, there's just, it feels like such an effort yeah. to be face-to-face -face and to have really authentic conversations. So my question to you is why is having strong BD skills more important now than ever? Uh, yeah. I mean, you're tying into my answer too. You know, the tagline of my business, I say we are in a fast pace. This is even before I should say this prior, even before COVID hit, I created a, a capabilities video, Steve Gavitorta group. You can see it on YouTube, but I begin that thing. This was done three or four years ago, pre-COVID 
that we were in a fast-paced, high-tech, ever-evolving world. Change is hitting us faster than ever. Adversity strike it gets deeper. And the speed at which we need to make decisions is getting tighter and tighter, meaning we right. have to make faster decisions. This is the new way of our world. And I talk about without skills, without tools, practice, our ability to be effective during these, our need to be more effective during these times is more important than ever because the room for error is smaller and smaller because right. people are rushed, change is hitting us, everything's much more intense. So clients, because of all this, are facing more issues, more problems, making margin, making deadlines, supply chain issues. So if we can be that company and provide that service to make that person or that organization's or that decision maker's life easier, solve problems for them, identify opportunities for them, that's going to be even more pronounced than ever because the world's so much more intense. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense, yeah. You know, that's why I think it's more important than ever because the change, adversity, decision, things are faster and faster. Margin for companies is getting even smaller. We can help be that solution provider for our customers during these turbulent times. That is a point of differentiation. Sure. If someone can help my friend sleep at night and not wake up nervous, that's a point of differentiation. Mm -hmm. my, if you are able to do that for my friend as a developer, he is more likely going to use you again throughout his need on that current project, but he is going to be more likely to use you for further projects he's involved in because he knows you've helped him solve a problem or you've mm -hmm. identified opportunities for him. That is a point of differentiation. That is building loyalty. And that is the way to grow your business. Because if you have a loyal customer, they're going to use you without you having to call them. They're going to call you. They're going to recommend you to other people, potentially without you asking. Mm -hmm. That is the cheapest form of marketing possible because it's coming from a trusted person right. uh, to another connection of this person. And it's free. There's yeah. no marketing involved in it. So the need to build loyal customers is of the utmost importance because of this turbulent, fast-paced, high-tech world we're in now. So the importance of being good in biz dev, being a good marketer is a key differentiating point, I think more so now than ever. Yeah. I know you also talk about seven key principles for success in business development. What are a few of those? Yeah, the first one I already said is think of yourself as a consultant and what are skills relevant for a consultant? You know, having a curious mindset, wanting to solve problems, wanting to be, wanting to be a solution provider, asking great questions, uncovering potential problems and opportunities and being the relevant solution. So the number one thing is think consultatively. The second one is build trust through effective communication. So if I'm your customer, and I don't trust you. You're coming in and spewing me, giving me the kitchen sink, not understanding my pain points, not understanding what I, what I work on, not understanding the opportunities exist for my company. Um, I'm not going to trust you very much. You're going to be another vendor in my eyes. Sure. But if I can be uh, communicate with you well, generate that relationship, generate trust and loyalty, I am going to be more willing to share with you. And in turn, the more that I share, 
the more you're going to understand how your company's products, services, and solutions can be relevant for me. So again, number one, have the consultative mindset. Number two, build trust through effective communication. Point three is spend time really discovering as much as you can about your customers. Again, that macro discovery, do whatever you can up front to understand anything about your customer. Do Google searches, look at their website, look at their vision, mission, and values. I've learned more about my client's vision, mission, values, and how I can connect my capabilities based off of what I've read about their vision, mission, values. I've done that a lot. Find out who key decision makers are. Anything you need to find out about them, do that in that pre-discovery work. And then through the discovery too, that micro discovery, that's where you drive the dialogue and really have the discussions with them. Another thing is be good at connecting solutions to problems that have been uncovered. Oftentimes in biz dev meetings or marketing meetings, people talk about, I'm sure you've heard of features and benefits. You know, most of, most people want to speak their features of their companies. Here's what we do. But the important piece is the benefit of what you do and how that relates to the problems you've heard that customer state. I'll never forget one of Stanley Black & Decker's promotional sheets, their marketing decks, had a brushless drill. And in their marketing collateral, it said 52% more runtime for this drill. Like every page was 52% more runtime. It was a feature of that product. Sure. So I'm like, I get it. That's a feature, but help me understand what's the benefit. benefit? Yeah. And they're like, well, it improves job site efficiencies because the construction workers can work more time on the job. They don't have to come down, rechange the batteries and it's downtime. So I'm like, that's what I want to know. Right. As a general contractor. That's what I want to know as a distributor. How does this help their customers or their employees? Because if I can think through to how this product or service benefits them and it's a solution for their issues, that's the real connection point. Most people spew features, not connecting the dots to the benefits to the issues you've heard them face in discovery, in a discovery phase. I talk about being memorable, making both business and emotional connections. Mm. One or the other, if you can do both, that's even that's even more important. So I talk about to my clients that any, any business is in business for three reasons. I'm not talking about their vision statement, mission statements, that's separately. I'm talking about the basics. Number one is to, and this is true of Steve Gavitorta Group, it's true of your company, it's true of any general contractor, architecture firm, whatever it is. You're in business for three reasons. Drive top line sales and cash flow. Mm -hmm. You want to have sales. You want to have cash flow. Cash flow means you can pay the bills. That means you can investment spend in your business. The second one is profitability. We want to be profitable. We don't want to make make all this money and lose lose money. That's not profitable. We want to be profitable. And the third part is to have some sort of growth mechanism, whether it's increase new customers, whether it's grow our market share, whether it's to land new customers or land new jobs, whoever that customer is. Those are the three things. I always tell people, if you can help your customers do one, two, or three of those things, especially those things that are most important to them, you're going to be a success in their eyes. Right. So going back to the doors distributor, if you purchase our pre-installed doors, we're going to drive job site efficiencies. 
We're going to minimize theft. We're going to optimize workplace productivity because we're going to hang the doors. Your people are not. Right. Those all tie into profitability or efficiencies for those top three things. So we don't sell pre-installed doors. We sell job site efficiencies. We sell job site productivity, which ties back into profitability or top line sales. Perfect. So, so if I'm able to make those connections, that's a win. You know, I told the people at Stanley Black & Decker, you don't sell drill saws, drill bits and, and blades. You sell the ability for a Home Depot and Lowe's to drive their top line sales, profitability, and incrementality through your product. Five years ago, Home Depot had a corporate goal. This was in Canada, had a corporate goal to increase their register ring by $2 per transaction. So that means if Steve Gavitorta typically spent $20 in a Home Depot, they wanted me to spend $22. Mm. That was their growth objective. That was number three in there. That was their growth objective, increase profitability and increase our incremental sales. So with Stanley Black & Decker, we we were talking about not only do you want to sell a display of drills because that can drive top line sales for Home Depot and Lowe's. But you also want to sell the drill bits because mm. or, or promote, I should say, the drill bits because the drill bits can drive profitability and that incremental $2 sales. Sure. I'm going to buy a drill and I'm going to buy drill bits too. That increases Steve's sale at Home Depot by $2. So that's the whole point I'm making. I tell the people at Stanley, you don't sell drill saws or tools. You sell the ability for these retailers to drive top line sales, profitability, and incrementality. With that example, how does that then transfer over to like public entities where so, they're not trying to sell to customers necessarily? Yeah, I think, again, you're driving efficiencies. You know, right. you're, okay. What your capabilities are doing is getting this job done sooner and or on time, on budget, efficiently as possible, minimizing, sucking out costs as much as possible. You're not obviously going to help them increase sales. Sure, sure. You're going to be able to drive efficiencies. You're going to be able to drive productivity. You're going to be able to help them save money. You know, this all ties into the profit piece, so to speak. Got it. That avenue. So you're still tying into one of those three with that, with the public entity. It's just more those efficiencies, I think, is what you really want to sell. And job site productivity, you know, minimum. And and so that's the business emotional connection. Sure. The personal emotional connection is um, making someone look good in front of their boss. Could be help them sleep at night because they're they go to bed scared right it could be making the job enjoyable so sure. if, if i can help a, a project manager get that job done more efficiently on budget and it looks good for his boss that's an emotional win for him right or if i help him or her sleep at night because they're so worried about this project that's an emotional connection for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not only helping you get the job done profitably, efficiently, I'm helping you sleep at night. So I have just made both a business emotional connection and a personal emotional connection. That is the the win-win scenario that you really want to get. Because if you can do those two things, that's going to 
make an impact and that will help you get more work with that particular company or the developer or general contractor down the pike. Sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about BD. It's an area that I'm very much interested in, but don't have a whole lot of background in. So I really appreciate it. Do you feel that you're now a business development I do, I do. I might as well just get out there now and start asking questions. (laughs) What's funny, because I've had in my workshops, everyone from biz dev marketing, estimators, project managers, whether it was the door distributor or a general contractor, a a construction company. And I always talk about that, you know, because certain job types are like, whoa, 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 that's out of my Yeah. No, it's really not. You know, no, it's really not. Because if you are providing value engineering, you're showing them a more efficient way of doing something. That's business development because you're showing a capability that can be future business development for your company because you're you're a problem solver. You're a solution provider. You went that extra mile. So for that door distributor, instead of being shy or fearful of selling that pre-installed door capability, you should be proud of that because Mm. you're helping you're helping them. You should be, Hey, I'm going to make things easier for you. I'm going to help you sleep at night, get this job done, get it done under budget. That's a mindset from I'm an estimator to I'm a solution provider for you. And everyone through your organization across that whole process should consider themselves consultative and have business development responsibility. Maybe not in your job title, but in your mindset or your thought process. If your organization creates that mindset, it will follow. It will follow. Perfect. So if our listeners would like to get in touch with you or learn more about Steve Gavitorta Group, where should I direct them? Yeah, it's three things. I have a website. It's uh, my last name. I'm going to spell it out. It's a long one. Gavitorta. It's www.gavatorta.com. My email address is very simple. It's my first name at my last name.com. So it's Steve at Gavatorta.com. And then my uh, my phone number here is 813-777-9414. And uh, love to take any calls anyone may have as an interest because I love working, especially with the AEC industry. I think there's so many opportunities to really make a difference. My goal is to create a point of differentiation for you, your company, your product and service. And I'd gladly work with you to create a custom program to do that. Perfect. And I will include your website and your email address in the show notes. I'm going to leave out the phone number just so you don't get robocalls. Oh, no, no worries. No worries. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate thank it. Thank you for the time. I absolutely loved it. Hope it, hope it proved helpful as well. Too. Definitely. Okay. All right, Marketeers, that is a wrap on this week's episode of the AEC Marketeer podcast. Thank you again to Steve for joining me to talk about business development. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would invite you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. New episodes are released every other Wednesday. Chat soon.